tried to run away from me. So I hit him with my shoe again! How far are you gone? L.A. Not many people stop for a guy these days. Afraid of a stick-up, maybe. This buggy belongs to a guy named Haskell. That's not you, mister. Now, wait a Shut minute. Up. You're a cheap crook and you killed him. Never mind that stuff. Take a car. Huh? What do I do with the car? You can keep it. I've got 51 left. <laughs> The Cult-Worthy Classic, a cinema podcast dedicated to obscure films and cult cinema made before 1970. Your host Antonio Palacios and a weekly guest will deep dive into these films to prove if they are in fact cult-worthy. And so without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Antonio and this is episode 20 of The Cult-Worthy Classic. Now, this is a very special episode, as today I'm trying something a little bit different. Over the last couple months, I've been making connections in the social media pages of local indie filmmakers here in my state of Utah. Utah is an untapped resource of underrated and underutilized indie film talent. And as I've been making connections, I've been eager to get young and hungry filmmakers onto my show to talk about their projects. And I was fortunate enough to connect with these two indie filmmakers. So today, to talk about their short film, Orenda, I welcome to the show writer-director Dawson Arave, who stars in the film with his brother, Bastion Hill, to talk about this amazing short film, the laurels it's received, its production, and its future, as it has been admitted to several international film festivals. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Hello and welcome to the show. I've got a very special show today where I've got some amazing guests Today's episode is focusing on an indie spotlight, specifically local filmmakers here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And to talk about their film, I've got Bastion Hill and Dawson Arave talking about their film, Orenda. Guys, how you doing? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing amazing. Bastion, how are you? I am doing very good. It's uh, nice to meet you, Antonio. Thank you so much for being on the show. And like I said, I'm really trying to branch out and focus on some more of the indie spotlights of Salt Lake City, Utah. I found your cinematographer on the Utah Film Group, and he and I connected, and he said, you have to check out our film and talk to the guys behind it. So I watched it on YouTube. I've been following your your social media page uh, for a minute, and the film's only been out for, like, what, a couple weeks now? Um, starting tomorrow, it'll be, uh, it'll be two weeks already. So, And I just got to say... I was so impressed by the fact that you call it a zero-budget film. It looks cinematically beautiful. It looks like there was a substantial budget behind it. And a lot of that has to do with the storytelling, the performances by you two, which are amazing, and that amazing cinematography by your guy, Dominic. So really what I want to know is, how did this all come together? Just so people know, I, I wrote the film, I directed, and I was also able to star in it. Um, but this this film kind of came to me, I think it was, was the beginning of last year, the winter time. I kind of just had this idea of coming up with this storyline about these two brothers, which hits home, um, as in Bastion's my brother in real life, just for people to know, which I, I told you that before the show. Uh, some people don't know, but me and him are, we are brothers in real life as well, um, as well in the movie. So when the story came to mind, 
um, about, you know, these two brothers going through this tragic event. And really the, the story ends with you kind of whatever your perspective on life is, um, is going to be how you see it. It, it kind of came to me and it kind of hit home right away. So as soon as it kind of came to me, I immediately had Bastion. He's kind of the person I bounce ideas off of. And so once I, I kind of passed the message along to him, the idea of this film, and he kind of approved it and just thought it was really, really good and thought we had something, he kind of thought it was going to be a very hard film, which it was, to film with no budget. But he he believed in me from the start. And as soon as he kind of gave me that, like, yeah, I think we can do this. Uh, I kind of went, I kind of went full board and uh, I I wrote it all in the summer as I was also working on the score with Tyler Critchlow with, uh, and and the the score is all original in the film. And it it was a beautiful job by Tyler Critchlow. Um, First, first time ever. He, he's just done band music and that was his first time ever doing composing. And I thought he knocked it out of the park, but yeah, so that's kind of how the film got going was it kind of came to me late or early last year. I, I brought it up to Bash, and, and kind of the same with all the cast and crew. They all kind of thought this was going to be a crazy scene or a crazy uh, story to to tell with with no budget. But I think we I think we did it pretty well. Now, Bastion, your role as the older brother. I mean, you've got the lead role in this movie, and your performance is just absolutely amazing. Have you been acting long, or is this something that? you were kind of able to channel through emotions that you already had with your brother and strong direction and strong leadership. It was my first time being on film, like showing my face. All the feelings were there. All of the feelings were there. It was all authentic and genuine. I get a lot of my leadership through military experience. I've been in mm. for 12 years mm. in the army. Yeah. It was it was pretty crazy, man. Not gonna lie. Like when I'm screaming, when I'm upset, when I'm crying in the film, it's it's legit. It's real. That was very real, very authentic emotions. But yeah, it, it was my first time. But Bastion actually starred in Semi and Gangsters. But funny enough, it didn't show his face uh, right. one time. And Semi and Gangsters is a is, is a is kind of like a student project for us that we did two films previous and it, it doesn't show his face at all. But um, so that was kind of his first time acting, but no, this is, this is Bastion's first time really acting in uh, in a role. That's yeah. A very tough role to say the least to play. You know, talking about your crew, like you already talked about your cinematographer and I did want to mention your, your sound designer and, and composer, Tyler, in in the table talk, he came off very even insecure even after you've completed this project that is amazing, and you guys keep complimenting him. And all I could think of when I was watching that talk was, dude, you struck gold with this score. It is professional level score. It's something that I would have expected to see in a Sundance film with a budget. And the fact that you guys were shooting in such a remote location in rural Utah, 
and be able to capture such good quality sound design and dialogue and these amazing performances with very little resources, I just can't applaud your crew enough. So I suggest people to go watch the film on YouTube, watch the table talk, so you can figure out how you guys put this crew together. But I think what I really want to ask you more than anything was, what was the preparation like for this film? Because you talked about (laughs) nine months of rehearsal, but then you really didn't cover that much about what that rehearsal and preparation was, including location scouting and finding. So that's kind of what I want to know a little bit more about. Yeah, um, that's actually a really great question. Um, So something that that I've... uh, I don't want to dive in too much because I don't want to, that's kind of a reason why I didn't touch on it too much in the table talk, but um, something that we're doing as a Marlon Dean group, as Marlon Dean team, we're doing something where we take rehearsals very serious. So when the filming comes along, we're not wasting any time. We're not wasting any money. Mm -hmm. And that's something that in the film industry is not getting used to people's advantage. And we are, we're using it. So to kind of detail what we did. So Rehearsing acting wise started three months prior. We would zoom read like uh, read throughs three times a week, right? Bash, it was it was three times a week, sometimes more. Yeah, <laughs> and then we met up twice a week, uh, for uh, up, upwards to about five to six hours. And in those, um, Tyler actually touched on this in the table to talk in those five to six hours when we would meet up, we would get uh vibes is what tyler said vibes as in we tried to get the most uh feeling of the film before we actually even filmed it so what i mean by that is we would we would all sit down and have a have a a cup of coffee with one another as we were watching films that in our opinion kind of related to to the idea of the script and so i would hand pick these uh films and we would we would go over them we would watch it uh discuss what we would like to accomplish um, like one of the films that we went over, um, or I guess two, I, I could tell you was, uh, so no country for old men and the revenant, um, the way they filmed the revenants wilderness and everything like that. Uh, we knew that we could kind of not obviously do it to the extent due to no budget, but I think we could accomplish it in a way that was kind of touching just like the revenant and make the wilderness feel alive, uh, specifically because we were using the same camera as uh, the Revenant, the Ari, which is a beautiful piece. But mm-hmm. back to the rehearsing, the rehearsal process was, yeah, five hours, uh, twice, a, twice a week, uh, meeting up, watching those, getting the vibe, and then acting everything out in, in person. So like the tackling and the punching and, yeah, walking around and doing all that, that was, that was us prepared beforehand. So when we filmed it, it was it was like second nature to us. And then, yeah, the zoom table read throughs, we did that a bunch every single night. It felt like, but yeah, it was only three to four times and it kind of just stuck all the the dialogue in your head. So when the guys were, you know, were acting, it, it kind of just felt like it was your own words really coming out, which that's how it's supposed to be. And then as far as the location, that was probably the hardest and most stressful was finding the location Again, this is a no-budget short film uh, for people that don't know. So finding locations to film so hard because if you don't get the right location, it's not going to move the audience. And we actually wanted 
uh, and Bastion said this before, we wanted actually a more wilderness vibe of more like pine trees and mm. like Washington, Oregon. Um, and we weren't able to get that, but I think the, the nature that we got was something that not a lot of films touch. It's, it's like a desert, uh, tree mountain vibe. Um, it, it was beautiful. It was up in Wanship. If uh, anybody knows where Park City is, it's, it, we've shot 10 minutes away from there where obviously that's where Sundance is held. So, but yeah, it was really hard. We we came across this cabin and it was an older vibe, which the film itself, I didn't want to necessarily date, but if it w- were to be date, dated, it would be the late 90s, early 2000s. And so I knew that we couldn't have had like this newer cabin look. So when we found that one, we hopped right on it and it was even around a bunch of newer homes. We just did the best we could to not, to not <laughs> show it. But yeah, that's kind of a brief detail of what the rehearsal and finding the finding the area was like. That's amazing. Yeah. And as a film appreciator and film watcher, you know, and I, I was in the film industry 20 years ago and I know exactly what you're talking about. Kind of what happened to some of the projects that I was involved in back in the day. Now that I like watch things with a more critical eye for the podcast, one of the things that I really have to commend you and your crew for is your conservative style of shooting because you don't have the budget or the means to be visually exciting or have a lot of flair. So what you did was you created a story where the wilderness is a character, the cabin is a character. The lake is a character and your speaking roles are interacting with everything around them in this environment and it all comes together. And I think that is what brings the credibility to your short film, because let's face it, you know, you guys have been running the short film festival circuit. I'm sure I've been to many. There are short films that do not feel the way yours do. A lot of them don't feel cinematic. They feel rushed. They feel like they ran out of money too quickly or they're just trying to put all their best moments in a 10 to 15 minute segment where your 35 minute film feels like an hour and a half story because it's told so well cinematically and with those performances. Is this a case where you were shooting it and you realized that your resources were slim, that you had to make some decisions that you were afraid might affect the film cinematically, but ended up being a service to you in the themes of storytelling? Yeah, yeah, uh, without a doubt. There was, I actually, like like we were, I just discussed with Bastion, um, we kind of had this idea, actually, Bastion, why don't you, uh, why don't you say the idea that you kind of had of the environment, and then I can actually uh, go off of that. Of, Bounce uh, off of question. it. Yeah, cool. to answer the question. So with the environment, so obviously when you're, you're given the script, you're given all this stuff you, and you're acting it out in person. We, we rehearsed in a high school parking lot, a local high school parking lot. So we had to lose, uh, use a lot of our imagination and what I envisioned and really what Dawson kind of envisioned too was this very secluded very just far out there place i mean like like he said something like oregon you know mm-hmm. just huge pine trees nobody for miles nothing around i remember when we were rehearsing like the fishing scene i was envisioning like a small creek coming through this 
this area with trees in front of us and stuff. And then when the thing comes, it's, I envisioned it being like way further away in this little patch. And I had, had like a, not a sniper rifle, but like a bigger rifle with a scope on it, which mm -hmm. was another thing too, the rifle DOS. That was another thing. Um, but yeah, the environment, we really wanted something that you can't, you can get here, but you would really need a budget. We would have to have a trailer. We would have to have better generators. Everything was brought from home yeah. um, that we used. We we just didn't have the means to get to an area like that. And the cabin too, like we would have had to have spent so much money, you know, to stay in a cabin for, we only, we filmed in three days too. I don't know if you mentioned that Dawson. Was only three days yeah. but just yeah so to, yeah the biggest thing though the environment in the house no neighbors like i wasn't i was imagining neighbors like two miles west maybe like four miles you know <laughs> east and nobody north or south but mountains that's mm -hmm. what i rehearsed it in my head so when we showed up it was a little bit different but you know you work with what you have so to answer and bastion said it like pinpoint but the whole crew felt that's not just what he was feeling in I kind of had the same thing. So to answer your question, that was probably the part where like, okay, I don't have a budget and that kind of hurts um, because I have the utmost confidence in myself, in my crew, in the cast that we can tell the story. We can get the visuals. We can get those shots. Um, even with difficulties of things not working, we still, we still got a lot of the shots that I, that I, I wanted to get. But um, to go off of what Bastion said, yeah, I if it, if I had a budget for this film is a better way to, I guess, answer this question. We would have been, yeah, in Washington or Oregon or even maybe in Canada, it, just up in those mountains, um, kind of more of the Revenant, just not that snowy vibe. But I think something that we did so well um, that, I again, this is props to the, the crew in, it, in itself. And I, you can tell me if you feel the same way as the viewer. Um, but I think we still made it feel pretty, um, yeah, oh, pretty yeah. isolated yeah. and remote. And it, even if, like, you guys see a little bit of houses or, like, a trailer or something in the film, like, you don't realize that there, there's a full neighborhood around us. But I feel like we did a pretty good job at making making the film pretty isolated. And that's ultimately what I wanted. So when I realized that, I was like, okay, so the only reason I really want it out in Washington is for the aesthetics sure and for the isolation i might not be able to get the aesthetics quite to what i want but i can get close but the isolation we can still conquer and i think we i think we did that so oh yeah it was absolutely brilliant the way that you made it feel isolated and yeah the occasional plane or occasional car down the highway you know if you live in utah and you've been to rural parts of utah you can still be by a highway and feel isolated because there are stretches where a car only passes like every two hours. So as a viewer, knowing, knowing that you shot this film here, I definitely felt isolated. Your idea of placing it in like the late 90s, early 2000s, based off of like the aesthetic of that house and that kitchen, I would have guessed maybe late 80s to early 90s, but the time frame doesn't really matter because right. the way you wrote it and the way you performed it you are in a very isolated area where you've just got these two brothers who are really everything to each other. And then you've got the friend, uh, Brian is the actor that played him. Is that correct? Yeah. Brian Ray. He, he also st stars in high school musical. So people can also go check him out 
on High School Musical, the Disney mm-hmm. one. Um, but yeah, he he's been magnificent. So he he, he really did Vic a, a really really good really really good job. So anyways, yeah, fantastic Best work I've ever seen him do. Other than High School Musical, obviously, I don't want to take that credit <laughs> away from him. That's this is the best work I've ever seen Brian do. He was really crying when we shot the films when I'm punch, like choking him and stuff. He was actually crying. He got boogers all over me, tears all over my hands. He was like actually screaming and crying while we shot that. It was very legit. He rehearsed every little bit. It it was awesome. It was he's a really good actor. He really is. Yeah, a fantastic performance. Now, I I encourage people to go watch this film. So, I I want to talk about a few plot points that you've given away in the trailer as to not spoil any of the film. Now, if you were to watch this trailer, it plays like a psychological thriller slash horror film. Now, I'm curious of like, what concept came first? Was it the horror element? Was it the brotherly love element? Or was it the, like you said, visual set piece of a revenant or old country for old men story because I get all three vibes when I watch the film. I'm curious to, to know what was the initial vision, the initial vision. So I, I I'm actually happy you said that because we've been, we've been getting told that and that's why when we've been submitting into festivals and everything like that, we've instead of putting into a horror or a thriller mystery, any of that, we just been putting it as best short or narrative just, so just the overall story, because I feel like the story is, it can't be isolated into one genre. Like you were just saying, the first thing that came to me was the brother. It was almost like it was instantaneous is the word. Uh, the brother and the, the horror came at the same time. Like both those ideas to me um, of, you know, this younger brother that looks up to his older brother, who is a very masculine man. Mm-hmm. And going through uh, something that's hor- 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 uh, horrific, excuse me, um, you don't see that. You don't see a masculine man in movies without being all like dramatized and not acting how he would really act. Uh, and I think Bastion did that. And so that's something that really enticed me was that brotherly love and horror to kind of go into that and that masculinity of the older brother um, with horror because you've really never seen true masculinity and how it would react to something horror. And um, yeah, so then the Revenant kind of came next. Again, it kind of was all instantaneous. Like it kind of all came like right to me. Sure, some things came later, like how the scares and how the story's twist was going to or anything like that. Um, It kind of came later. Um, But as far as me knowing I wanted it to be a horror, Horror, but then a love felt movie, but then also at the same time, maybe a little bit of a mystery thriller. It kind of, it kind of came to me from the get go. And uh, this, this can be something he answers too, because I, I brought him, I brought it to him pretty early on. Bash, uh, when you first, uh, when I first talked to you, I, I, I'm having a hard time remember what was the biggest vibe I was giving off to you. Was it horror or? Because I'm actually curious to hear what you thought. It was brotherly love and loss were the two. Mm. Mm. And, and like resentment so sadness okay yes, so, so more sadness not horror okay interesting resentment um anger uh, and then brotherly love and then you know everything else that tied in afterwards because i really don't want to give the movie away yeah. i could i could give so much away by answering this question but the initial vibes were brotherly love uh anger 
lots of anger, maybe a, li- a little bit of loss. Like you said, the masculinity, what would really happen in real life? Uh, a manly man, what would really happen in real life? Like the when nobody's looking, you know, kind of a thing. How yeah. Yeah. There's emotions shed when nobody's looking and uh, every emotion really is shed in the film. See anything? Well, now, uh, just hear me out. I know this is going to sound like, but when I was out there, these uh, these bushes were shaking and these footsteps, they ran up behind me. No, I know what it, I know what it sounds like. Ain't nothing out there but animals. Maybe some other people. No. No, Michael, I'm telling you, man, this doesn't seem natural. You're right. It's not natural. Because it's in your head. I don't want to hear about this shit again. That's what you always do. What do I always do? This. This is what you always do. You don't believe in me. You, you used to. But you changed so much. Yeah, and I, I think there's something to be said too. You know, as a as a viewer and as an appreciator of this film, I one thing I love about art and film and even like things like culinary skills, there is a subjectivity to the person receiving the creation that they are allowed to form their own opinions, form their own ideas of what the artist's true message is, even if it wasn't the artist's intention for them to receive it that way. Now, again, I'm not going to spoil this film, but the way I receive this film is that the sadness of loss creates monsters in your mind. That's the way I see it. When you add things like seclusion, like this film is, and the idea that you have a limited amount of connections with other human beings, as this film portrays, it gives more room for monsters to play. And when I was done watching this film, I couldn't wait to just like get on this podcast and talk about that idea, because it is something that I've rarely seen in a horror film, in a psychological thriller, or a, a film about brotherly love. Sometimes you get maybe like one of those elements, but to me, this film was just the multitude of these emotions and ideas and elements that brought to me. Have you heard that kind of comparison before? Because that's what I got from your film. Dude, I love that. That was beautiful. That was so (laughs) in-depth and so beautiful. I love that so much. Thank you so much for those words. Really, you really dug deep and I really do appreciate that. The amount of work that went into that for you to see it that way, like from an artist's point of view, that was, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. I have not heard anybody else say what you just said, but that was, that was beautiful. Thank you. You're absolutely welcome. Like- yeah. I heard. Um, yeah. I was, I was just going to say to answer it. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a, that was a great way to, uh, to give your answer. Um, so one thing I, I actually, I really appreciated that answer. Just, I'm going to kind of, uh, agree with Bastion there. That that was a really great answer. But the one thing that I've absolutely loved about this film is everybody's had their own perspective. I've almost never. I've heard a couple ideas that were the same. Yeah, I I haven't really heard quite what you said and um, before with anybody else. It that that's a super unique. Um, and I, I like Bastion said. I really love that that view that you have on the film. Um, but that's, that's something that I I've really appreciated about this film and something that I wanted to accomplish. And I think we did it. It was, I I haven't heard almost the same perspective of the film really at all. I, I've maybe a couple of people have said the same thing, but other than that, I've heard 
15 to 18 different theories of what the film's about and how they perceived it. And that's exactly what I, I wanted. And um, I think we accomplished it. And so what you just said right there was, was really beautiful. Um, it, just because, you know, with us having no budget and um, all the work we put in for people to view our film, the way, like what you just said um, and what uh, ha others have said to us, uh, it really, it really does mean a lot. And um, uh, will we touch everybody's hearts? No, that's part of the entertainment. That's part of it being art. Not everybody's going to um, have that storyline touch their heart or maybe any part of the film, the, the score, the cinematography, anything. Um, but then people like, you know, like you and everybody else that's reached out, um, it did touch them. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. And you guys all kind of have your own perspective on it. And that was a big thing that I wanted. And I didn't want to tell anybody what it was truly, what this film's truly, truly about. Um, <laughs> you can kind of get a good gist, but other than that, and, yeah, the film's completely based on your perspective. And I think your perspective was, was really uh, like, thank you, man. That, 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 meant, that meant a lot. Of course. And you know, here's, here's where it can be difficult for a filmmaker. There is such a juxtaposition between criticism and review you know, people just love to criticize films or art or restaurants or anyone's creations because criticism is fun. It's fun to write. It's fun to read. It's fun to kind of like bash someone's dreams in online without any accountability, really. And I, I think that's something that is basic human nature that any kind of creator, even me as a podcaster, has to face from time to time. So I like to look at what I do as more of an honest review and assessment of a creation. You know, I enjoyed your film and I'm going to talk highly of it as long as we're having this conversation and, and I talk to other people about it. But if I didn't enjoy your film, I'm not going to say that I didn't enjoy your film. I'm going to give my assessment of what I think really worked and what was impressive because it's an effort. and you never know how well your effort is until you get that final project on the screen. And I feel like there are so many times, I, I, I did it when I was making short films or even with podcast episodes, where I go back and listen to it and I think, you know what? It's, it's something. I tried really hard and it's, it's there and I'm going to run with it. But then there's something about an episode or a short film like yours where it's like, okay, this is something special. This is something that means something to me. And with any luck and with any hope and with any boosting from my peers or you know critics, they might find something special in it too. And this will be my springboard into something bigger. And I feel like this is a springboard for sure. Is that how you feel about this film? Is like this the one that you're going to really push? Or is it the one that's going to be like, no, the next one will be better? So answer this, that. This is, and this is the one. This is the one. I'll <laughs> tell you right now. This is the spring. Um, so the next film that we already have in works, um, and we'll be starting rehearsal probably in August, um, is a feature. So that was our last short film. That was our graduation film, is what I what I've been saying. And I think I touched on that in the table talk if I if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, this is this is something that we hope is our springboard something that is going to open people's eyes of what we're going to be bringing and to show people what we did i mean we filmed like bastion said a no budget short film 
in three days and we filmed uh, the original short film was 48 minutes long. So we cut it down 13 minutes um, and we had over three hours of footage in those uh, in those three days of filming. So the way that we're kind of going about um, not wasting time and kind of just being prepared as as all hell, um, I think is going to kind of hopefully be our niche. And I think this this film is going to to show our niche to, you know, producers and studios and, you know, just people and the, the amount of people that we have believing in us and the festivals haven't even took off yet with the film. It's just, yeah, I think to answer your question, like Passion said, I think, I think this is the springboard um, and the next one is, is going to be even better. So. Awesome. Awesome. I, I agree. Like if, if this was my film, if I had this, in my docket, I'd be like, all right, this is the one I'm running with, everybody, so watch out. Hey there, Cultworthy Podcast listeners. I have an amazing new app for you. It is called Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them aloud to you in a natural human voice, unlike mine. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. You can browse articles and topics from which you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling and start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you'd like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries, including mine, the Cult Worthy Podcast. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link available in my episode notes. That's C-U-L-T-C-A-S-T to receive one month free premium subscription. Once again, check out Newsly and thank you for listening to the Cult Worthy Podcast. All right, so I've, I've got some questions for you now, you know, just kind of going off the, the topics that I usually cover on this show, and that is cinematic inspirations. I am always curious to know where people's visual flair or ability to tell stories comes from. I mean, it is a natural gift. I think it's something that everyone is born with something and they have to develop it. And being a storyteller, especially a visual storyteller, is something that's very unique. Not everyone can do it. And what helps us get there is learning, is knowledge, is exposure to other people's visual works. What are some of the films that you either grew up with or were exposed to that kind of gave you like this, this cinematic springboard, since we're using that word so much, in developing what kind of storyteller you wanted to be? So I, the way I actually got my name is kind of a funny, funny story. And this, I promise this will this will answer, tie into answering your question. Um, so my mother is absolutely in love with Leonardo DiCaprio and Bastion can attest to that. Um, and when she was pregnant with me, she was watching the Titanic. And when Jack Dawson came on the screen, you know, is Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, apparently I had kicked or I did something and my mom already loved Leo and she, when she heard Dawson and then I was kicking, she just thought it was all meant to be. So that's where I got my name. So my mom and my family have kind of like ingrained in me film and try to 
get me going, I guess, at an early age with loving a film. They Not necessarily making film, but to love film. And that was at an early age. So my parents opened up um, the world to me uh, cinematically wise at an early age. I mean, I, I wasn't like, for people that don't know, here in Utah, it's not a common thing for kids to be able to watch rated R or even PG-13. Um, so for my parents to let me watch anything like I watched, you know, Jeepers Creepers, Hills Have Eyes when I was like five years old. And that's not movies that a five-year-old should be necessarily <laughs> watching. But because of that, it opened my eyes to like everything. It, I, I loved it all. Like I loved, um, I loved like the horror and the darkness and like just the, the grotesque storytelling of those kind of films and like Rob Zombie films. Um, and then I love, you know, the Quentin Tarantino's uniqueness of storytelling. And um, so I just, they opened up such a vast world to me at a young age. I really feel like my inspirations, my my three favorite directors, if I had to pick some, I really love, I, I can't even say three, just a couple directors, I guess, <laughs> to list some, is Tarantino, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick's a big, big, big one. Everybody loves Wes Anderson. He's kind of like the new hot commodity of storytelling now and uh, Scorsese. But I think I didn't necessarily take anything from them, but be original. And mm -hmm. so I don't know if you noticed, uh, there was a lot of shots in that film, uh, in, in our film, that I'm going to still do even when we have a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, like that's a lot of those shots aren't going to go away. I, I I'm in love with certain shots and I think that's what makes um, my storytelling unique. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I, I, I just, I saw such a vast world at a young age and saw everybody was so original and that's what made them them that I kind of just found my own niche and I'm sure subconsciously I picked up on a little bit of all of them and combined it into my, my own way. But um, yeah, that, that's, I guess how I found my way. Awesome. What about you, Bastion? I guess I got to be cool like Dawson and tell the <laughs> origin story of my name. Uh, got my name from the never ending story, son. I knew it. Great film. <laughs> Great film. My, yeah. Awesome film. Uh, yeah. My mom knew that I would grow up and be different and strong, <laughs> independent, <clears throat> which I, I am, you know, yeah. uh, much more strong and independent than Dawson. No, I was but. thinking different. I was thinking more different than. Well, I mean, we could talk numbers if you want, but no. But anyways, uh, I I grew up on I grew up on westerns, man. Awesome, really old, cool westerns, and really old Disney is really what I watched growing up. We we only had VHS, um, maybe until like 2000 and like five even like we were way late onto the dvd game so i i mean i grew up on like true grit oh yeah butch cassidy like the old westerns you know what i'm saying butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh the original true grit really old westerns is yeah really what i grew up on uh mash mash even like yeah. a really old army stuff you know um and then like the cool creative side of everything other than being just like a 
really awesome cool cowboy shooting guns and stuff like that would be like fantasia yeah the the music oh man that's like one of the coolest movies ever made really like to this day still if you watch fantasia the way that it was created and just the music beethoven like with disney is like i don't know that's just kind of like insane cool snow white bambi like some really cool old disney films that's really what i grew up on yeah like my eyes were always covered during gore nudity stuff like that which is it's kind of weird how i grew up to become you know like a soldier and to do what i do for a living (laughs) Mm -hmm. like (laughs) you know like the whole fighting the violence part i really wasn't exposed to that through movies anyways maybe more through like where i lived but not not through movies but man westerns were like a keynote in me wanting to be through through orenda the film me wanting to become this stoic just natural born just kind of like a cowboy Mm -hmm. you know he's not a cowboy in you know the film i at least you don't see him doing cowboy things but Mm -hmm. uh country just hard just like I guess you would say corn fed around here. I don't know <laughs> if they say that everywhere else that, you know, in the, the, all your other viewers, corn fed is just like a, like a country, just grew up country, you know? Here in Utah, it is an interesting dynamic because you will see families that are, are exactly how you're describing. You'll have, you know, one child who is absolutely into the arts, dance, performance, music, and then you'll have another child who is roping Broncos. You know, it's it's just one of those states where there is so many different dynamics to family units. And I think that is one of the reasons why Utah is such an untapped resource for talent, because we cover a lot of ground here. We cover a lot of ground in the way we raise our families. We cover a lot of ground in the way we support the arts. To the outside world, a lot of people think that Utah is just you know, a very super conservative state that has no appreciate. They think it's footloose. They think it's like dancing's banned and there are no bars <laughs> and stuff like that. Like I get oh, a lot geez. of that when I talk to people on other podcasts that I am from Utah. Your story is exactly the kind of story that I like to tell people about Utah is like, no, we have untapped talent here in, in acting, in filmmaking. And I really think there is a big future. I mean, why do you think Disney keeps coming out here to make high school musical movies? Why do you think that they shoot Utah for Mars and Mexico and so many different areas? It is an untapped resource. And that's why I, I like doing this episode to talk about the indie scene and what we have to offer. I think Utah is has a lot, lot of untapped talent and that's something that i i really ever anybody that watches the the short film and everything like that it's such a hard thing because a lot of people unless you're like full blown into it like we are some people aren't um so open about their wanting to be into this kind of industry and everything like that um so if you're watching this uh or if you're listening to this and you go and watch our film reach out if you guys are interested in um yeah, maybe you guys could be the next projects. But to to t- touch on the main part, I think Utah does need to get better at supporting. Um, I and I and I'll kind of elaborate. Supporting um, 
as in, I feel like this is such a state where, I mean, it, it is known for this. You, you, you graduate high school, you get married, you have kids and you get to work. And if anybody's lived anywhere else and whoever's listening to this, if you live um, elsewhere, you know, that's not really the case elsewhere. You know, a lot of people don't get married um, until they're maybe late twenties, early thirties. And so I just, I think Utah kind of has this, you guys could, you guys may think this is wrong in your guys' opinion, but I, I feel as though Utah has this weird thing where they have a hard time unless they're fully like how you are or um, people, like I said, that are fully engaged in the, into this, into this world, people have a hard time supporting their local talent here in Utah. And I think it's because, because of that fact that they, they, they kind of just grow up fast Mm -hmm. and they kind of move on from their dreams and they see other people doing their dreams and they're kind of like deep down, like, I want to be doing that. But like, instead they're not. And so they kind of, they just don't support. So that's, that's one thing I really wish Utah um, was better at because I'm I'm trying to get Utah on the map and in my own way, as much as we can on this film industry. Um, But at the same time, it's kind of hard when, you know, when people aren't supporting because of things like that. And yeah, Utah just has such an untapped potential, like not even just through people, just the scenery. And just, I don't know how people don't come here even more. Like you were saying, like, I know we've had like West world and we've had pirates of the Caribbean film like that Jack Sparrow when he's alone. Yeah. On the up on the, um, the salt flats. Yeah. The salt flats. Yeah. Yeah, but just that's that's one thing I wanted to touch on. I just it does that's one thing that's always kind of rubbing the wrong way here in Utah is people have a hard time supporting and I think it is because we grow up pretty fast here. And I'm I'm born and raised here. I, I've lived elsewhere. I've lived in the south and California and stuff like that. But yeah, man, that that's that's one thing I wish we were better at here in Utah, I can honestly say. Um uh, I think the art community is very um they support very, very well here. That's, that's without a doubt. Um, we have a really good theater program here in Utah and um, dancing and everything. That's really beautiful here in Utah, but the people that are in the art world, they, they have a hard time um, supporting. And I, I really wish that's something that we can change here soon. And I'm just going to say like, you know, there are social media groups that are really trying to band together and, and bring the film industry and the arts to the attention of the world. And that's how I found, that's how I found you guys. So, you know, I feel if we all do our part, if you keep making fantastic films and promoting them well, and then I can help expose in any way I can the untapped resources of talent in the film industry through my podcast and hopefully other podcasts want to get in on the action. I mean, it's got to start somewhere. So hopefully this is like, the seedling to something better. That's, that's my intention for this. Absolutely. I agree with you, Antonio. Absolutely. We've had a bunch of festivals actually waive fees and everything like that just to get us in. And we've, we've already been offered a lot, a lot of things. One was um, like, they're, they're starting this like new um, and I've actually had, this is news to Bastion too. I haven't even told him um, this, these, uh, these, uh, I don't even know how, what I would say. I'm just going to say this media group, um, they're starting this like television kind of thing, um, but kind of like a Hulu um, where you can watch live television or watch movies, kind of like Netflix, kind of like those. Um, but they're, they're starting it up and 
they had asked us to um, to be a part of that and select our film so that could be on one of their channels or something like that. So we've, we've been getting great offers. We've, we've submitted to a bunch of uh, festivals. We've been offered and people have been asking us to submit in and it's been really great. We've already been selected into a couple of uh, festivals. We've been nominated for one. We're waiting to hear back from a couple if we've been nominated. But other than that, we're just we're in the waiting game as far as festivals goes. Um, and then as far as the next project goes, yeah, that the storyline is all I will say is it's truly, truly unique. Um, it's going to have two, two types of worlds blended together that I've never seen in a film. Um, and I, I think we did a good job with Arenda making a truly unique film, but I think this next one, um, it's really going to be unique. And like I touched on Arenda was our last short film. So this next one is a feature. It's not going to be incredibly long. It's probably going to be an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes, kind of similar to what Quinn Tarantino did with his first yeah. uh, Reservoir Dogs, only an hour and 20. Arenda was the spring, and Three Left Turns is going to be the the solid thing just to kind of get us, get us grooving and hopefully get us with a budget, if not already having a budget by the time we shoot this next one. There's one thing I want to say about your film and – the future of of Hollywood filmmaking, cinematic entertainment. We keep getting these messages from whoever, everyone, noise, voices, that original ideas are dead, that creativity is dead because all we're seeing are reboots and remakes and superhero movies. I just want to say that films like this, ideas like this, storytellers like you, Filmmakers who work for A24, Ari Aster, and all those different filmmakers who are telling, if they're not wholly original ideas, they're original stories. These are the kind of people that are going to save the industry. You're the people that are going to save the industry. Because there's going to be a point where no one's going to care about a superhero movie every couple months in the theater. They're going to want original ideas again, and this is exactly what they want. It's what I wanted. You made a 35-minute short film that grabbed my attention better than nearly any film I've seen this year. So and that's just not me, you know, buttering you up. Oh, wow. 100%. Of course. I'm going to tell all my listeners and anyone that you care to share this with that they need to see this film. It's really accessible. It's on YouTube. Watch the Table Talk and just start embracing the future filmmakers of this world because it can't be superheroes forever. You know, I hope it's okay if I share the links uh, to the YouTube video on my website. So my listeners can find it. Is that okay with you? Yes. And like Dawson said, we are trying to create something not just for, you know, the world to see we're overseas already with the, uh, you know, competition side of things. We want something that, Utah can be proud of. We want local talent to be noticed. If you are listening to this and you think that you can act, if you are afraid to pursue a career in being an artist, whether it be, you know, acting, uh, music, culinary arts, whatever it, whatever it might be, hit us up, hit us up. 
comment on the video. We're always looking and stuff. We'll reach out to you. I don't know, yeah, Doss. Please. Did you did yeah, you don't be, send out don't your be afraid. email? Everybody can reach me on my social media platforms. It's it's the Marlon Dean on Instagram or on Facebook and Dawson RV on Instagram as well. You guys can reach out even like Bastion said, um, leave a comment and stuff. Also, if you can't find us somehow, leave a comment on the video and let us know. We we are uh, building our crew up. Like we, we're a 10 man team right now and we're, we're wanting to build it up even more and more and more. And with this next film, we have a lot of, lot of roles that need to be filled. Um, so please, if you guys are listening and you're wanting to, and even if you're maybe hesitating, just take, just take that step and give it a shot and you guys might enjoy it. So. Yeah. And this next film is going to be very serious, very, very serious. <laughs> I have not read the entire script yet, but I have been practicing my dialogue and the voice that I will have in this film. I've been practicing already for maybe four months every day while I go to my day job and I, and I still haven't read the whole thing. It's, it's going to be good. We're going to throw everything into it. It's, it's going to be awesome. Dawson is an absolute madman when it comes to hard work <laughs> on set him with my military, just mindset, anything can get done. He is like a drill sergeant. And then I, I, I absorb it. Listen, boom, it's done. It's, it's out there. It's done. We, we can do anything. It is different than how most people shoot films. I think, you know, with the go now go, there is a lot of like hastiness to film, but half the film is being shot in one day. That's kind of, you know, that's, that's like, holy crap. You're changing wardrobe every five minutes to do a different scene. It, it's totally different. So if you do reach out, just know that it's going to, it's not going to be easy. It's not going <laughs> to be easy to, to be in this film. You're going to work your butt off. Like, You've never worked before. Um, I've been in the army for 12 years and I'll tell you that Dawson pushed me to a limit that I just, I, I didn't know that it was in me. And I think that you can really see that in the movie uh, mm -hmm. through emotion, the way that I express myself. So please watch the film. It is genuine. It is original. It is awesome. And Antonio, thank you very much. You have been a great host um hit me up dude because i went to culinary school and i've won a few utah awards so hit me up dude and we'll get together and cook sometime so awesome man yeah thank you very much yeah dawson bastion thank you so much for joining me on the show and let's get your movie out there i can't wait for listeners to hear this and see your film so with that this was the cult worthy classic you can follow me on Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Twitter, or find me on thecultworthy.com where I will have links to their film as well as their social medias. So, gentlemen, have a great night, and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Good night, Antonio.